Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Glory be to God. I'm going to tell you right now, there are a lot of scriptures tonight. Uh, I'm using a lot of scriptures to make a singular point. <laughs> and uh, so um, just know that in advance. And I already apologize to the people running the computer, and uh, they're going to be on their toes tonight. Uh, we're, we're in this new series about how to become a connect point. And we, if you were not here last Wednesday, first of all, we missed you. We always miss you when you're not here. Second of all, you really need to go back and listen to it because it, provi- it, it provided a lot of foundational things for this series and maybe some context for this series. I also will just let you know, as I let you know last week, that this is an interesting series because I really feel like God is kind of uh, giving me some direction as we're going through this, as, and I'm not exactly sure what the end goal is going to look like, and uh, so we need to kind of get into this together. So if you missed last week, you need to go back and listen to last week, amen? And so this uh, series, amen, and uh, we were looking and talking about uh, last week about the necessity of assembly. We're pointing out the New Testament church in the book of Acts and the necessity of assembly. And we want to be better prepared for the future as we most possibly can. And so we want to look uh, at some things regarding to uh, the New Testament in the context of Scripture when it talked about the church, the New Testament church, and their interaction with both the temple but also house to house. Amen. And uh, we want to move forward this week, and we'll talk about another aspect. Throughout this series, we're going to cover uh, some things about the importance of fellowship, uh, of collective prayer, of worship, Bible study and exhortation, evangelism, which all those things we know are extremely valuable because you, we, we interact with it and we, and we partake in it uh, here. But not only in the temple are those things important, but also house to house. And we're, we're seeing this in the New Testament church. And so let's look tonight at this idea of fellowship in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, this is one of the few places it actually uses the word fellowship. But I want us to understand that this is beginning of Acts. This is 242. This is right after, right, Pentecost. This is right after, uh, you know, repent and be baptized. It's right after that. This is the very beginnings of the New Testament church. And it uses this word fellowship. But the word in the Greek means partnership and it means participation. Everybody say partnership. Everybody say participation. 
this is a foundational part of the New Testament church. People partnering together, working together. Everybody say together. And they're participating. Everybody's doing something. And so we need to we want to grab that. And I'm going to point this out to us tonight. And it's kind of one of those things that once you begin to see it, uh, you're, not, you're never able to read the book of Acts again without, without it jumping off the pages at you because it's so prominent in the scriptures. And I'm going to use a lot of scriptures to show us that. It actually begins before the book of Acts. In fact, Jesus himself is the one who brings this idea of connection, fellowship, working together. He's the one that brings this way of life about with his disciples. He's the one that first brings them close, right? We talked a lot about that with disciple making, amen, but he's also the one that would then also sent them out, but he didn't send them out alone, did he? No, he didn't ever send them out alone. He always sent them with someone else or they were operating together in, in groups or some way like that. And so he's the one that kind of begins this process of understanding that. But I want to just look at the book of Acts and the beginning of the New Testament church. And we see it first uh, from the mouth of Jesus right before his ascension in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. And being assembled together. Everybody say together. Together with them commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of Father of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. So right off the bat, we have assembled together. We have the word them. We have the word they. Amen. He's talking to them as a group. He's talking to them collectively. He's giving them direction collectively. Many of them obeyed Jesus and went to Jerusalem and assembled in an upper room. In Acts chapter 1, 12 through 15, then returned they unto Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotus and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of his disciples and said, and then it says a number of names together were about 120. And so we see the collection. We see the activity, group activity happening here. It even names a lot of them for us here so that we understand what this group dynamic was, right? It even lets us know that it wasn't just the men that were there, but there were women there, that there were relatives. Some of these people were relative to one another, connected to one another. Some of them were friends. Some of them, obviously, we know, came about because Jesus went out and found this one and found that one and put them and made them, amen, a, a united group and put them together. And so we see that. And at Pentecost, we see they're still there, Acts 2 and 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all, somebody say all, they were all with one accord in one place. So they, all of them, united, are together. And after Pentecost, it remains the same. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, and all that believed were together and had all things common. 
Sometimes they were all together. Other times we see them operating in smaller groups of ministry. But the believers were together in spirit. They were together in unity. They were together in activity. Look at Acts 3. You know the story. 1 and 4. Now Peter and John went up together. Everybody say together. I won't have you repeat all of them, but I want you to get it right off the bat so you start seeing it. They went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. A certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask of alms of them that entered in the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms, and Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. Amen. Together. Which leads to a miracle that shakes the city. An undeniable miracle that nobody can explain away. A powerful event that was illustrative of the power of God that was now present in the New Testament church. Now, Peter and John were temporarily arrested for that miracle. And immediately upon their release, we read in chapter 4, 23 through 24, and being let go, they went to their own company. Everybody say company. Company is another way of talking about a group of people that were together. They went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that they heard that they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth and the sea and all that. Amen in them is. This collective time of prayer and time of worship is very powerful in Acts chapter 4 and verse 31 because it says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Amen. So Peter and John get arrested for a miracle. They come out. The very first thing they do is go find their people. Right? They go find their people and they tell them, look at what God has done. Look at this. He kept us safe. He got us out. He delivered us. He protected us. How about that miracle that took place? Wasn't that wonderful? And they begin to worship and they begin to praise God and they were together and the Holy Ghost began to move in their midst and they begin to speak the word with boldness. Boldness came upon them as they collected together and worshiped God. Amen. Brother... TJ, there's a popping happening, which it's not bothering me, but I don't know if something's like about to blow up. <laughs> Amen. And so they're together. Everybody say together. Yes. So their togetherness brought about faith. This is why Jesus was never sending anybody alone. Amen. Amen. There's something that I know about, uh, uh, and you may know this as well, that is that uh, if, you, if we ever do some sort of an evangelism or outreach thing around here, it's always better if someone's with you. Amen. I used to, uh, when I was growing up and we would do door-to-door type stuff, I used to dread it when there wasn't enough people because that meant I had to, you know, you had to, you take this street, I'll take that street. And now you're all by yourself. And it's just all like fear and anxiety, and it's all about the worst that could possibly happen. But you add one other person with you, 
and all of a sudden the collective boosts your faith and it boosts your confidence and it boosts your ability that you think things are going to be successful. And this is what Jesus understood about humanity. And this is why he put people together, right? And this is what we understand about the New Testament church, that their, their, their faith uh, was, was, was a powerful thing, that it led to, uh, their togetherness led to faith, and their faith led to boldness, and their boldness led to the miraculous. Amen? Acts 4 and 32, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that was but they all had things in common. They were connected. They were together because their time together was centered on God activity. They were united and they had a, an understanding of, of the power that they had by being united and by being together. Now remember, this is in the context of both in the temple but also house to house. All of the togetherness did not happen at the temple. Amen. Amen. I mentioned a little bit last week, it talks about daily in the temple and house to house. A lot of commentaries differ on this. When you study this out, there's a lot of difference of opinions. Some of them believe that they were going to the temple every day for the hours of prayer. There was two hours of prayer a day, and they believe that they went to the temple every day for those two hours of prayer. Some people believe that they only went to the temple uh, like for, the, for the, the Sabbath day or for the day of you know, church time type of thing, but they were together uh, house to house every other day because the word daily is used a lot. Well, no matter what it was, we, we know something for sure. They were together a lot. Amen? They were together a lot. And so here they are, and they're getting together, and it's being effective. It's being effective because their togetherness is, is built around God activity. Right? Like if you get together a bicycling group, that's awesome. But if it's a bicycling group with a bunch of people who love to, to cycle, right? You're probably going to talk a lot about cycling. You're going to talk a lot about like, I don't know, air pressure and tires or chain speed, aerodynamics, spandex. I don't know. You're going to talk, you're going to talk a lot about stuff related to cycling. Now, I'm not saying you can't have like a Christian cycling group. I'm not saying that that's impossible. But what I'm saying is the New Testament church had a lot of togetherness. And no matter what they, I'm not, it's not necessary saying all they did was just pray constantly. But when they were together, it was a God-centered environment. They didn't get together with each other to gossip about other people. They didn't get together with each other to, to talk about their spiritual superiority. They didn't get together to, to wallow in the mud about, about how Christians aren't accepted in society. Right? That's not why they got, that's not why they got together. And in fact, they're getting together uh, was so powerful, and it was, it was something that drew others. It caused others to also want to be connected. Amen. You know you know, you got a good group, and other people want to be a part of it. Amen. And you know something's wrong if nobody wants to be a part of it. 
or if you're not allowing anyone else to be a part of it. But that's not part of the New Testament church, is it? Not part of the, our church either. But we're looking at the foundational stuff. God trusted them. He trusted them, and so he, he even sent people to them. While they are evangelizing, and they're, they're doing their part, and they're praying for people in the streets, and they're talking, and, and they're going to the temple, and they're, they're talking about Jesus Christ and his resurrection. But they're doing that, and God trusts them that he's even sending people to them. Like when God tells Cornelius to go, right? That's, that's, you need to meet Peter in Acts 10. 22, 23, and they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that fears God, and of a good report among all the nation of Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house, and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them, and on the morrow, Peter went away with them, and certain, look at this now, first of all, let me just point out real quick that Cornelius seems like a great guy, but he still needs Jesus. He seems like a great guy. So when we're looking at our, our world and the people around us, they can, they can be good people and still need Jesus. All right? But I also want to point something that, that gets overlooked a little bit here is that we always think about Peter going to Cornelius' home. But look what this says. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Peter didn't go alone. He had some people with him. He had a group. You see it? Also notice that the people that God wanted them to, uh, them to reach, we, talk, we think about Cornelius, but they, Cornelius had a group too. Amen. Acts 10, 24, 27, and the morrow after they entered into Caesarea and Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter took him up saying, stand up, I myself also am a man. And he had talked with him and he went in and found many that were come together. So Peter is part, of a, is part of this New Testament church that's working together to spread the gospel. And God sends Cornelius, uh, he says, Cornelius, you need to meet Peter. They go get Peter. Peter says, I gotta go, I got this ministry opportunity I'm hearing about, and I need some people to come with me. So they go together to Cornelius. When they get to Cornelius' home and they go in to minister, they find out Cornelius has got his friends and neighbors there too. Amen. In the temple, house to house. It was happening. Okay? And so the, the, the church is, is together. They're working in unison with God and each other. It's allowing them to effect, effectively minister to others. None of this happens is if somebody's just on a power struggle, if this is just somebody wanting to be in charge. None of this happens if everybody's worrying about who's in charge. It, it doesn't work if everybody's like, well, what's my title going to be? It doesn't work. It has to work. This is how it works. Amen. This is how it works. And, and, and these people, uh, they don't even get named. Certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. We don't even know who they are. 
But you know what? If Peter goes alone, he's going to walk into a house filled with people. And it's going to be Peter's responsibility to try to connect with everyone in that house. But if he goes with others, right? You know, you show up, Peter shows up, he's a fisherman, right? Hopefully there's someone in Cornelius' house that likes to talk about fishing. So he can use that, his, that great example that Jesus taught him about being a fisher of men. You know they repeated that. Yeah, I know. I, let me tell you what Jesus told me one time. You're a fisherman. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Wow. Is that good? But what if everybody in the room's not a fisherman? Hopefully some of these other brethren from Joppa have some other things that they could talk about and connect with someone on. You understand what I'm saying? So now they're reaching, uh, they found, they're reaching groups of people. And Cornelius says to Peter in Acts 10, 33, Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. That is a powerful statement. If you can ever get in an environment where everybody's there and present before God and ready to hear. Oh. I'm going to tell you right now, there's people that, are, that, that can be here and not be present. We struggle with that in our society today being somewhere and being present where you are. But they were there, they were present, they wanted to be there, they knew they were there before God, and they were ready to hear what God had to say. This, this by the way, is the kind of connections that God makes. This is why we want God connections. Now, we don't just sit in our room, you know, for, for, for month after month saying, God, I'm not doing nothing until you give me a vision and tell me exactly what door to go knock on. That's not how we live our lives. That's not how they live their lives. But while they were doing work, while they were out ministering, while they were in the temple, while they were house to house daily, while they were uh, meeting people, talking about Jesus, God was also making God connections. And God connections are powerful because he sets everything up. You say, well, that's the only way it should happen then. No, I don't believe that. Because I, do, I also believe, as we'll see a little bit later, that there were times when Paul and those with him had to go into very challenging situations and had to work very hard to get like one or two people. So we're all just sitting back waiting for the God connection. We're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to be doing. Amen. And so he says, we're all present before God to hear all things. And what can happen when, when the together church is led by God to people who are searching? Peter begins to preach about Jesus. He begins to preach about his resurrection. He begins to preach about remission of sins. And when I say preach, understand the context. He's sitting in Cornelius' home. It's not this. He didn't walk into Cornelius' home and go up to the platform and sit while the worship band played and then didn't get introduced and they had a podium and everything. 
There's a temple, then there's house to house. He's in Cornelius' home. He's still preaching because he's delivering the gospel. You understand that? He's preaching because he's delivering the gospel. And so here he is, talking about Jesus, resurrection, remission of sins, Acts 10, 44, 48. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles, there they are again, by the way, there's those unnamed people, those that came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Gentiles were filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized, by the way, which had never happened yet. This is the first time that someone who's not a Jew is filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so they're getting baptized because a group of believers were together and trusted God and allowed it to happen and worked together to see it come to pass. And they did it house to house. Now, of course, the enemy doesn't like this. And so persecution is ramped up. James is killed. Peter's arrested again. But their togetherness is not broken, is it? In fact, the body is blessed because they are united. Look at Acts 12, 2 and 5. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when they had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison But look at the last line here. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. So one's killed, another is in prison, but the church is still getting together. God miraculously delivers Peter from prison, Acts 12, 11 through 12. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together, not in the temple, in a house. And they were together praying for Peter, who was in prison. And here's where we get the great story that reminds us that they're human like us. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda, and when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate, and they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, it is an angel, and my favorite, one of my favorite lines in Scripture, but Peter continued knocking. And then they had opened the door and saw him. They were astonished. So these are not like God men and women. Like These are real human people, right? They're praying fervently. They've come together. They've gotten together in a house to pray fervently that Peter will be delivered from prison. And when Peter shows up, 
they, they call the lady mad that she says that she saw him, and when they see him, they're all astonished that it worked. <laughs> Amen? Have you ever prayed for something fervently, and then when it came to pass, you were like, wow, I wasn't really expecting that. It's human. It's human. But you did something right. You prayed. Amen. Faith sometimes is just the difference of activity. That's a whole other lesson, by the way. But faith sometimes is just a different activity. If you don't have faith, you never pray at all. If you do have faith, you pray, even though you don't really think it's possible, but you pray anyway. All right. So God used what faith they had in their collective prayers to do a miracle. Notice what Peter says after this in verse 17 of Acts 12. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Go tell the other people that are together in other places. What happened? We've got other brethren in other houses, in other towns who are collectively together and praying. Go tell them what happened so we can all rejoice in the miracle that has taken place. This is the power of togetherness. They wanted everybody to know, right? And, there were, and it's letting us know that there were other groups of people. This wasn't the entirety of the church that was, that was here at this house. This wasn't the entirety of the church. This was one group of people that were together having a prayer meeting in someone's home. There might have been 10 other homes having prayer meetings. He just went to that one. But he says, now go tell everybody else what took place. And then he goes to another place. Can you imagine running to the other house where they were having prayer? Right? You know, we, we, we hear about it in, in Mankato when someone says, you got to go to Janesville and tell them. But we don't have Peter with us. We didn't even, they didn't even believe it when Peter was there. They got to go convince the people in Janesville. No, really. Really, it did really happen. All the people together, so, so they're going to join together. Paul and Barnabas, the Bible says, had a company. They had people with them. We, we read about Paul and Barnabas, but they had a company of people with them who traveled to Antioch. They enter with uh, they enter into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and Paul begins to preach about deliverance from Egypt, King David, Jesus, the death, the burial, resurrection, the forgiveness of sins. He's, he's, he's going all, he goes all the way back. He's doing the whole thing. To which the Jews and the Gentiles respond in Acts 13, 42 and 43. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. They said, we want to hear more about this. This is interesting to us. Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Now, look how God blesses their efforts, Acts 13, 44. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. So they show up at Antioch because that's where God told them to go. And it's a group of them. It's not the whole church. It's a group of people that make up the church. 
They go to Antioch because God tells them to go to Antioch. They go into the synagogue. Paul begins to speak, but Paul's not the only one there. Right? And he begins to preach, and he, he delivers a wonderful message, and, and, and it affects the, the Jews and the Gentiles alike. And the Gentiles say, we want to hear more about this. And some of, the, some of the Jews were like, you know, keep up the good work, guys. And so they come back the next Sabbath day to preach again. But by the time the next Sabbath day rolls around, almost the entire city shows up to hear what they have to say. Amen. There's been some conversations happening. This is before Facebook. Right? There was some intentional conversing taking place. It's a good thing Paul wasn't there all by himself. It's a good thing that he had a group of people that were with him, that were out there spreading the word. And so, all this, almost the whole city shows up, so some of the Jews don't like that, and they're actually too envious of the crowds to really hear what Paul has to say, but there were others who were hungry. Look at Acts 13, 45, 49. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed cold. By the way, just keep in mind, keep in mind that the New Testament church here at the very beginning had people that were just wanted to argue, that just wanted to try to make them look bad, that just wanted to say things that were hurtful, that just wanted to contradict, that just, right? So you say, well, I can't, I don't want to do anything in my home. I don't want to invite people over. I don't want, I don't like, I don't want people to, you know, what if things get a little, they will. You're getting a collective group of humanity together. There's going to be some stuff, Right? But, but we're not, you know, it's not a sewing club. We're doing it with prayer. We're doing it under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. We're doing it to be in line with Scripture. We've got the blessings of God upon us. Yeah, it might get tough. But it's also going to be effective to somebody. Look what happens. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. He's like, look, guess what? You guys obviously don't want to hear this, so we're going to talk to these guys. You see that? He says, the Jews are just causing problems. They're just being contradictory. They just want to argue and fight. And so Paul and Barnabas and the rest of the company are like, that's fine. We're going to turn our attention over here to these people because they seem more interested in what we have to say. You see that little shift? That's all that it has to be. The reason we get ourselves in trouble, and, and frankly, the reason why some of us have some anxiety and fear over doing this kind of stuff is because we feel like that if someone disagrees or contradicts or wants to argue, that we have to get into that. That we're like forced to like get into this argument with them. If anything, if our culture is teaching us anything right now, it's that arguing solves nothing. Doesn't solve anything. So they shift. They shift. We turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee 
to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were deigned to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Guess what? The Gentiles talked to one another too. Right? They were glad to hear it. You don't have to spend an hour and a half arguing with somebody. You can just shift and find someone who wants to hear it. Together. Somebody say together. Together is everywhere in the book of Acts. It's everywhere. Acts 14 and 1. And it came to pass in Iconium that they were both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude both of Jews and also of Greeks believed. Acts 14 and 27, and when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. They didn't go just together to beat together with the Gentiles, but after they left the Gentiles, they came back together and met together with their fellow New Testament church believers and told them together what God had done together with them. Just want to emphasize that. Acts 15, we see that they had some disagreements. They were were Holy Ghost-filled, Jesus-named people, but they had some disagreements. How did they resolve their disagreements? Look at Acts 15 and 6. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. They're talking about the expectations that needed to be put on the new Gentile believers. Nobody was ready for that. They weren't quite prepared for this, the Gentiles to be getting baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, and they had all these Jewish traditions, and they weren't sure which things they were supposed to expect the Gentiles, non-Jews, to have to do. And so there were some disagreements on that. And I'm not talking about disagreements between church folk and non-church folk. I'm talking about church folk disagreeing with church folk. And so they were disagreeing with that, and so how did they solve their problem? They came together. And they considered the matter. They came up with a solution, the Bible says, and they sent news to the other groups in Acts 15, 30, and 31. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. So now the Greeks, I mean the Gentiles, some Greeks, the Gentiles are getting together. So before, in Antioch, there was nobody getting together. There was no light. There was no fire. There was no witness. But then a group went there, and God did miraculous things. The group went back, but there's still a group there getting together. You see how it works? They're still getting together. And they're rejoicing because now they've been given direction. They're not left alone. They didn't disconnect from the body. They didn't go off and do their own thing. It wasn't like, oh, great, got my own church. See ya. Let's talk about tithing and offerings. That's not what it was about. It wasn't about that. This was the body of Christ. And they were together. 
Sometimes they preach to themselves even. This is important, part of this whole fellowship thing, right? Participation, partnerships. Sometimes they just got together and preached to themselves. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached to them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. It says specifically the disciples came together, and Paul preached to them. So they were, they're, they're preaching to each other. And he, and he continues talking until about midnight. And this is the story where the boy, you know, he's in his sleep in the window. And, and, and Paul's preaching all the way to midnight and he falls asleep. And he falls out of, out of the window and they think he might be dead. And Paul says, ah, he'll be all right. He goes down and he gets close. He says, oh, there's still life in him. That's, that's what he says. There's still life in him. And, uh, and what do they do when Paul says, oh, there's still life in him. He'll be all right. What do they do? They stay for more fellowship. Look at, look at verses 11 and 12. And when he therefore was come up again, Paul, and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, he departed and they brought the young man alive, and they were not a little comforted that he was alive. It means they were very glad that the young man made it. But I want you to just, I'm not trying to make fun of this scenario, but this is for real. They got together, believers got together, and somebody delivered a word. And they, and they, they communicated, and they had this word and this church-like environment, and preaching was going forth so long that it was midnight. And even when someone nearly dies, once they realize, ah, he's not dead, they continued to have this togetherness, and they, find, they decide, let's get some food going in this thing. They break some bread out. Next thing they know, sun's coming up. This is, this is the level of together that they had. Okay? I, want you to, I want you to keep that in mind. I want you to keep in mind the level of connection that the New Testament church, not just in the temple, but also in house to house. Under the heading of the, the, the fellowship of the believers in Acts 2, we find some verses that we looked at last week, 42 through 47, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers, Fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common, sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. They were, they were taking care of each other. They were trying to help each other. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. They... There, all, the church, the company, together. It's the New Testament. It's the, it's the New Testament church. This is how it operated. And when we, when we use that understanding of together, and then we look at the word daily in Acts 2 and 46, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread, house to house, either 
singleness of heart. Acts 5.42, and daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Why did it matter that the together church was active on a daily basis? Why was that important? Because people were in need daily. Acts 3 and 2, and a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate beautiful. It represented the idea that there were needs present daily. Not just when they went, this was on the way to the temple, but that guy was there all the time. See what I'm saying? They went to the temple, whether it was for the hour of prayer or whether it was for a weekly type of service gathering, but this man was there all the time. There are daily needs. There are people who are, have great needs in their life that only God can help. So the church becoming a, a, a one service a, a week church is not really helping the world. Or at least we could say we're only helping the world one day out of the week, if that's all it is. You understand what I'm saying? They came together daily because there were needs daily. They, became, they came together daily because there were people searching for answers daily. Look at Acts 17, 10 and 12. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea. Paul and Silas, they're going together to Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed Believed and also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. Two people, at least, maybe there was a company with them, go to Berea to reach out to the people, amen, in Thessalonica, and they get there and they find people who are searching the scriptures daily. There's people that are searching scriptures daily. So it's beneficial if there's a church that understands how to minister daily. It's, it's not super helpful if I come across someone who's got a Bible question and I say, you know what? If you'll come to church next Sunday, I bet somebody could help you with that. That's not, I mean, I, I, mean, I hope they come, but that's not super helpful. But if there's daily ministry taking place, Right? If there's some place that they can, even if, if you can't help them, which we should be able to give an answer to those who would ask, if you, if you can't help them, there ought to be something that could happen that day that could help them, right? So that's why it needed a daily church, because there are people in need, because there are people searching for answers, because there were people being spiritually manipulated daily. People that were being... Following after false God, look at Acts 17, 16 and 17. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Daily. Because they were, they were given to idolatry. They were believing a lie. 
And they didn't know what to make of Paul because here they are, they're, they're big idol people, and he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection. He's preaching about repentance. He's doing all that. And he tells them in Acts 17, 27, 28, that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Get it? For in him we, li- li- we live and move and have our being, the opposite of the idols that they're praying to. Life, movement, activity. The opposite of the idols that they're praying to. And he's talking about th- to them with this. He's not just talking about it once a week. He's talking about it with them daily. And how did this daily ministry, working with very challenging people, by the way, this was a very challenging people to work with, how did it work out? Acts 17, 32, 34, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, Howbeit, certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius and Aeropagdite and a woman named Damaris and others. So how did he do with this daily ministry? Well, some of them, some people mocked him. And other people said, that's interesting. I'd like to talk to you again about that sometime. Have you ever got that reply? I'd like to talk to you again about that sometime. That's good. But others clave unto him. They went with him. They became part of his group, his company. They found something they wanted to be a part of. And he, of course, brought them back and introduced them to the body. He didn't say, well, let's just do our own little thing. You guys do your own little thing. He said, no, you need to know that you're connected to something that's bigger. That's something that's bigger. Oh, hallelujah. And so, the together church doing daily work for God ultimately was remarkably successful because God blessed their efforts. I'll read it again, Acts 2.47. Praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Acts 16, 5. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. The only way that that happens is if you remember that it was together daily in the temple, and house to house. Now, I mentioned it last week. There may well come another time when the church is forced to close its doors. We now know that that's a real possibility in our world. Okay? The curtain's been pulled back. They've decided The church is non-essential. But it's up to us to be essential no matter what they think. We have to be essential whether they think we are or not. 
We have to be valuable to our communities whether they think we have any value or not because at the end of the day, our value is not judged by them. It's judged by eternity. And we can spend all the time we want arguing with them about our value and trying to get some sort of recognition from people who, frankly, could care less about the church. Or we could shift and say, okay, you don't think we're valuable. You don't think what we have to say matters. You could care less about it, what we believe, whatever. Okay, these people over here, though, they're interested. And one more soul going to heaven is worth a church that knows how to operate in the temple and house to house. Amen. So we have to understand, the, it's beginning to get a strong understanding and a concept of what this New Testament church actually look like, what their, their daily lives look like. All these people didn't quit their jobs. All these people didn't just say, you know what, we're going to just throw off society and go get ourselves a little group and we're just going to, no, no, no. In fact, they interjected themselves in society. They didn't become cultish and go out somewhere and separate themselves. We, I have four or five examples tonight of where they left Jerusalem and they went to other cities and went and found people that, that were totally different from them that they didn't know and interjected themselves into the situation and started having conversations. That's the opposite of cultish, by the way. So, this was not, I said it last week, I'll say it again, this was not their response to persecution. The house-to-house church was not a response to them being persecuted. They were doing the temple and house to house before the persecution happened. And the Bible says that even after persecution was happening, they continued in the temple and house to house daily. As long as they could, as long as the temple is open, as long as the church can be open, as long as the doors can be open, and that may be forever. They may never actually shut down the church forever. But we know what can happen now. And so there has to be this partner called house to house that works together, together with the temple. I told you last week, the Barner Research Poll, one in five churches in America, they're predicting. This is just, you know, they're predicting. One in five churches in America are going to be permanently shut down because of what has happened in the last four to five months. Now, they can blame that on COVID all they want. People can blame it on COVID all they want, but that's not what the Barna research shows entirely. They say it's because of COVID, but what they follow up with is they say, and I'm quoting now, relationships they thought were much deeper with people were actually not as deep as they expected. The reason why churches are, are, are hurting and are not recovering from the shutdown 
is because the people who attended the churches really didn't have deep relationships one another like everybody thought they did. And you know why that is? Because when you go to church for one hour, one day a week, and that's it, and there's no daily, and there's no house to house, and there's no fellowship, and there's no breaking of bread, and there's no togetherness. These are just people in the same place that you're in for a little while. And after three or four months of not seeing them, some people have just decided, maybe those people aren't that important to me, really. God forbid that the apostolic Pentecostal church would follow in that. We need to remember our New Testament church foundational principles and that it's a whole lot more than just a Sunday service and a Wednesday service. But we've got to be doing daily things. Amen? Amen. We've got to be doing daily things. Stand with me if you would, please. Thank you for being responsive tonight. Thank you for being, paying attention. So we... Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week.